Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent the girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Okay, amen. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all our wonderful moms and grandmothers and spiritual mothers. Thank you for uh, your steadfast uh, labor of love, uh, even more so in our recent uh, crazy times. Uh, in light of the day, I thought I would uh, devote the sermon to talking about some pretty amazing mothers and mother types uh, found in Exodus chapter 2, uh, which chronicles the story of Moses' birth. Uh, but first, let me recall uh, an old uh, 2009 time.com article entitled The 10 Best and Worst Moms, which presented a self-described highly unscientific study of the 10 best and worst mothers from the world of pop culture. So here's the 10 worst moms ever. Uh, I actually don't know many of these references. Um, I think Gertrude I know from Hamlet and maybe Joan Crawford from an ancient movie. I'm a little more familiar with the 10 best moms, uh, however. Uh, note they include the queen mother from the sci-fi thriller Aliens. Uh, the Chinese mothers in the Joy Luck Club book and movie. And of course, topping the list was Dumbo's mom, Dumbo the elephant, Mrs. Jumbo, who loved her baby elephant boy with all her heart. She didn't care that his ears were growing to gigantic proportions. Mama Jumbo uh, did what she could to shield him from the taunts of other elephants and circus visitors. But when some mischievous boys tug at his ears, she goes into an ele elephantine rage and she has to be caged. Uh, Dumbo, separated from his mother, left unprotected from uh, the unrelenting attacks, shows the fortifying effects of a mother's strong love in his heart and turns what others see as his greatest weakness into his greatest strength and uses his ears to fly. There you go. Uh, the metaphor is apt. A supportive mother can give her child wings or ear, ear wings. 
did you also see that Moses's mother uh, made the list? Uh, we'll talk about her quite a bit today. Uh, we discover from other passages that her name was Jochebed. And to me, she embodies the life-giving power of a mother's love. Accordingly, uh, here is my message title, uh, Mother's Day Life Jackets. I know it sounds like a Mother's Day kind of uh, giveaway at a sporting goods store, maybe. Um, I did want to center on the actions of Moses's mother in giving birth to him and then preserving his life against the forces of death represented by Egypt, by the Egyptian Pharaoh, as well as the Nile River. I was actually tempted to use the term PFD. There's a term, personal flotation device, <laughs> but opted for life jackets because I think that kind of gives us a picture of not only Moses's mom, but a number of amazing women uh, who serve as life jackets for Moses and through him, the entire people of Israel. You know, one of the neatest things about this passage is that every character in the narrative with the exceptions of like a, a short intro of a Levite man and uh, Moses himself, who's just an infant. Everyone else is female. Everyone else is a woman in this story. Indeed, the women are the true heroes in this narrative. Even uh, I think up to recently, I thought that Moses's parents, um, they're the ones who protected him, husband, you know, father and mother in those early months. But it's all Jochebed who does the bearing, the protecting, the hiding, the nurturing, the planning, the entrusting, the releasing, uh, and then the nursing and raising of Moses. Um, and then we also have Miriam, his sister. We also have the Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants, uh, whom I presume were all female. And as I thought about it more, uh, I think it's quite true that mothers and mother types uh, in all cultures over all time they really do much of the heavy lifting when it comes to life-bearing, life-preserving, life-saving, and life-extending. So that's going to be our topic today uh, on Mother's Day, the life jackets um, that mothers are. Uh, let me provide a little bit of background. Uh, since we had Exodus as our recent devotion time text, so after Joseph the patriarch died, Joseph was a great uh, leader of the uh, uh, Hebrew man, but um, the prime minister of Egypt for many years. After his death, the Israelites uh, started to grow very numerous. Uh, the Pharaoh, who comes to power in an effort to control the burgeoning Israelite population, uh, ruthlessly subjects the people to slave labor to build his cities. But despite that, they multiply more and more. And so the Pharaoh tries to uh, get the Hebrew midwives to commit dastardly deeds of male infanticide during the birthings. But Pharaoh underestimates the midwives. They are his slaves, but they will not subject themselves to his morally repugnant orders. They fear God more than fear oh, oh uh, and refuse to take innocent life in the manner that the pagan king demands. They choose to obey God and protect the sanctity of life. Um, in turn, God rewards them by granting them families of their own. The story of the midwives is one of his heroic uh, resistance. They bravely defied the leader of the greatest nation of their day, risking everything to do what was right instead of what was easy. 
thus our study of life preservers is really launched uh, by these uh, midwives. But here's a full list, uh, which just uh, I'll repeat. The midwives, Mother Jochebed, Pharaoh's daughter, Sister Miriam. I'll try to cover them in the uh, shown order. So let's go next then to Jochebed. Um, in a sense, chapter two begins to me almost uh, matter-of-factly. Yeah. A Levite marries a Levite, and the kids start coming. Uh, Moses, actually their third child, appears to his mother as a fine child. So far, so very normal. Uh, to any mother, no matter how ugly or plain, her child is the most beautiful and extraordinary being in the world. Uh, an Afghan proverb goes that a mother porcupine will gaze upon her young and say, oh, my child of velvet. Uh, that's what mothers see. But it really was a very sad and dangerous situation. Uh, in reaction to being outwitted by the Hebrew midwives, Pharaoh had heinously enlisted his fellow Egyptians by decreeing that all Hebrew male infants be cast into the Nile River. Uh, the river was the nation's life source as well as its sewer drain. That made every childbirth, every pregnancy, a mixed bag of great joy and blessing but also serious trauma. What parent would want their child birthed into this kind of world? Yet children you know, were a gift uh, from God. So born on the horns of this dilemma, Moses is birthed to Jochebed and her husband. And of course, a mother's instinct is to protect her child, even at the risk of her own freedom, her own life. And that is the ordinary... Uh, okay, go back. That is the ordinarily extraordinary love and power of every mom. They not only break their bodies, uh, growing an embryo and then initiating that very their, the very life of their child into the world, but they do everything uh, in their power and some things that are beyond their ability to protect the life of their offspring once born. Yeah. Countless ordinary, everyday mothers have done the right thing, protecting life uh, over the easy thing or the expedient thing or the legal thing or the society, societally acceptable thing time and time again. Let's think about our own mothers. What have we learned uh, from their sacrifice, from the way they protected us, from the way they raised us? For three months, uh, Jochebed did everything necessary to extend the life of her son. She risked everything to hide him because mothers, I think, really understand uh, that life basically requires life, right? Uh, in order for children to live, a mother has to basically give away her life. Yeah, it's almost like the conservation of energy. Right? To have energy, you gotta decrease energy. But mothers do that because they love. I think Jochebed must have done this joyfully. All the stress of three months of hiding Moses was nothing compared to the chance to see him live. You know, by sparing and protecting Moses, the parents find their way into the hall of faith uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. 
Well, in our story, the moment arrives when uh, Jochebed can no longer keep Moses hidden. The time to conceal him uh, at home expires. Uh, she must give him up. She must cast the child upon the Nile River. Don't miss the irony there. That's what Pharaoh wanted. He wanted the boys to be thrown into the Nile River, right? So they would die. And here's Jochebed having to put him uh, in the Nile River. But she wasn't casting him to chance. She wasn't casting him out of despair. She was casting him in trust, right? She had to cast Moses upon the providence of God. So at that one moment in history, God's entire plan for triumphing over evil is really bobbing up and down in the Nile River in a little papyrus basket. Precious cargo indeed. The thread of hope seemed awfully thin. The power of the world seemed so unrelenting and insurmountable. I think that on the one hand, uh, Jochebed's action took extraordinary faith, right? To actually... Uh, put this baby in the basket and put him in the Nile River. But on the other hand, I think um, this release, this entrustment happens to all mothers in some form. There comes a time in every parent's life when you have to let go and trust God. And like Jochebed, you do your best to keep harmful elements away from your child, but circumstances beyond your control make it impossible to keep them maximally safe forever. You realize that you do have to cast your child upon the goodness of God. Maybe not in such coarse terms as a basket, a river, and a sentinel, but it's gut-wrenching just the same. And mothers do all they can, but ultimately they must you know, fully trust the Lord. And in this process, I think you see the depth of Moses' mom's love, her life-saving instinct, right? Because it manifests in resourcefulness, right? In diligence, in creativity, right? Her love is so creative. I, I love it. <laughs> Moses' mother fashions a papyrus basket. Literally, in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the same word as Noah's ark. It's an ark, a little houseboat, personal houseboat for Moses. Imagine the care that she must have coated the basket with tar and pitch to waterproof, right? The meticulous care that that involved. The basket dare not leak. Her son would not be lapped by the waters of the Nile. Now, the Nile River, uh, this, it had symbolic significance, right? The Nile was a life source of pagan Egypt. It was, in a sense, Egypt. That's what the Nile represented, the power of Egypt. It was Egypt. It gave it defined Egypt. It made her great. It swelled her pride. It represented the potentialities and actualities that, that Egypt, the world, ever in rebellion against God, what it reveled in and it banked upon. So kind of like Noah's Ark, how it kept out the waters of floodwaters of judgment and death, Moses's basket kept the contaminated waters of the Nile away from him. The smallest leak uh, could cause the basket to fill with worldly water and, and then founder, the, 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 the basket could sink. But Moses' mom, every stroke of the brush, right, took extra caution to keep him safe and insulated. Yeah, working with tar and pitch is a messy and detailed work. 
right? She would not have done a half-hearted job. This was his life that was at stake. To me, I think Jokobed actually is the ark or became the ark, right? She put all of her love, all of her care, all of her faith into uh, protecting this vessel, being this ark uh, for Moses. And our mothers do the same. They go to extraordinary lengths on a regular basis to give us what is uh, best to protect us from germs and wrong ideas and character flaws and dangerous peoples and situations. They constantly inspect our basket's integrity, patch whatever holes develop. They do all they can and give us the best chance at continuing life. Yeah, they really are life jackets, aren't they not? Um, I guess if I had to contribute to that pop culture list of 10 uh, best moms, I think I would include Elastigirl from The Incredibles, one and two. I, I really like her character. Um, and just the image of being flexible <laughs> to meet all of the needs of a needy family and to do superhero work. I feel like that's, that's what moms are. Um, my favorite uh, part of Incredibles 1 is when the plane explodes because the bad guy shoots missiles at it and they're, uh, Elastigirl and the two kids are you know, flying through the air and they're about to crash into the water and the parts of the plane are you know, falling all around them. And Elastigirl then pulls the kids towards her and then she makes herself a parachute. <laughs> she becomes a human parachute. And that's like a, a very, they use the music really well. It's like really like ominous music and death and dying. And then that boom, the parachute and then everything is calm and they just kind of slowly land uh, in the water, right? And I really like that image of Elastigirl being the lifesaver. And not only a great mom, not only you know, dealing with the kids and, and saving her husband, all that kind of stuff, but without her skills, without her abilities, no life. They would have died, right? And, and that, to me, represents um, mothers, certainly uh, Jochebed. So after ensuring the river worthiness of Moses' ark, Jochebed puts her child in a place where she thinks he might, he might survive. She puts him in the reeds. It's not like the movie Prince of Egypt, that animation where Moses is like, navigating the, the crocodile-infested waters. Now, it's in the reeds. It's still dangerous, right? It's still uh, very risky for him, but it was designed to try to put him in a place where someone could find him. And, uh, and that's even to the very end. She, she stations her daughter there. To the very end, she needs to know. She does her best to protect him. Okay, so now the narrative. We can turn the story to... Uh, other motherly or life-preserving roles played by other women in the story. And I think they um, really show a great solidarity of wonderful defiance against life destroyers. So I wanted to review um, some of the verses a little bit. So verse five, Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket among the reeds and uh, sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. I really uh, uh, kind of 
marvel, I guess, a little bit at the uh, Pharaoh's daughter, right? Like, you know, Moses' mother, you could argue, I think it's kind of maternal love, instinctual love, storge is the Greek word for it, right? Uh, parent, parental love for a child, but Pharaoh's daughter had no kind of like blood relation to Moses. He was even one of the lower class, right? Uh, Pharaoh's family or Pharaoh's people had subjugated Moses's family and Moses's people, right? Um, she sees this mewling three-month-old, right? And she goes out of her way to see if she can spare his life, see if she can help him, right? And the, what it says, the text says that she had compassion. She felt sorry uh, for him. I find this to be a pretty common quality uh, for many mothers, how compassionate they are, right? How they are willing to share the pain, the sorrow, not only of their own children, but of many children uh, of the world. Yeah. You know, Pharaoh's daughter had every right to be haughty or calloused. She had everything, you know, they were the greatest power in the world. Hebrew babies maybe were a dime a dozen. But again, she goes to a, a great length to see if she can help him. And I, I don't want to miss the uh, kind of the, um, the sense of, kind of sub subversion or strength that she had to display. And she had to disobey her father's law about killing baby boys, right? She had to um, risk that all the people would either call her out or, you know, she would get in trouble, major trouble for helping out uh, the Hebrews. Right? You know, the name that she gives Moses eventually, uh, he who draws out of, uh, of the water, that um, it actually, it portends, right? Um, it foreshadows Moses's destiny as a leader of the Israelites who are drawn out of the Red Sea and saved uh, by God. But imagine her father's objection right, to her adopting uh, Moses, right? Uh, she is willing to do these things because she felt sorry uh, for the baby. I think it just shows a strength of heart. It shows um, uh, empathy, right? It, it really, I think, describes a lot of times, I think, when our mothers really don't treat us as we deserve, but treat us with you know, mercy and empathy and compassion. Yeah, I don't think Pharaoh's daughter ever really would have a chance to um, follow the God of the Hebrews, but uh, in her own way, she became an important part of God's plan. Right? Because of her, Moses did not die. Because of her, Moses did not grow up as a slave. Uh, he grew up as a son, safe and secure in Pharaoh's court. Right? Again, the irony that one of his own, Pharaoh's own, would be the one who leads the people, uh, Israelite people out. Uh, Moses was uh, in, in Egypt. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, according to Acts 7. Uh, this was the finest training the world had to offer then, a first-class secular education. Um, it was customary for foreign-born princes 
to be reared and educated in the Egyptian court. So Moses was one of them. He would learn linguistics, mathematics, astronomy, architecture, music, medicine, law, even the art of diplomacy. So with this kind of background, he became highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Her compassion, right, allowed Moses to be trained, to be developed, right? This small act uh, brought much life uh, to Moses and to others. Now, th you know, th this, uh, this kind of uh, simple act, I think, has been repeated the world over by many, many people, many, many mothers, many women, I think, have just led the way in uh, bringing about so many uh, kind of institutions and uh, movements, right? Um, inspirational stories, whether small or big, of helping those uh, in need because of the special touch that mothers feel and are able uh, to give. Right? Uh, Mona and I were talking about a mission trip she took to Central Asia once, and um, she visited an orphanage where um, you know, orphanages in the world are, are generally very sad and uh, brokenhearted places, but this orphanage was particularly uh, heart-wrenching. Um, it, um, it was a place for a kind of special orphans, special needs orphans, right? The ones that nobody would ever adopt, the ones that society had kind of rejected, would be relegated to, you know, kind of terrible conditions. And you know, these women who started the orphanage brought these, you know, special kids together and started working there, collecting money, raising money, and really caring um, uh, with love for these neglected children. Mona says she went into one particular room where uh, children with a particular condition, I think uh, she thought it was encephalitis, I'm not sure, sure exactly, but they, the condition uh, had you know, oversized, the heads would be oversized and the bodies would be very small. And so they would have, they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves at all. And they were, the, the, the kids were like 16, 17 years old. They were kind of on the, um, the, the far side of adolescence and yet they couldn't do anything, couldn't feed themselves, they couldn't clean themselves. And that these women yeah, who ran the orphanage, who started and ran the orphanage, um, this was their mission, this was their calling, this was the way in which they uh, saved life. Yeah. And I think Pharaoh's daughter uh, kind of is representative of that kind of purpose, that kind of uh, blessing that mothers um, tend to give. I even noticed this time around that Pharaoh's daughter uh, remunerated Jochebed for nursing and nurturing Moses. I was thinking, you know, I, I read that she would pay her, but the fact that she initiated this, I think she could have, uh, Pharaoh's daughter could have taken advantage of the ladder of Jochebed, despite, because of the disparity in power and social status. But, you know, it was another indication of compassion uh, in a socioeconomic sense that Pharaoh's daughter kind of demonstrated. So, um, yeah, I thought she stands as a, a very um, touching example uh, of this life jacket, life pres preservation. And then our final one, let's enter the num another member of the XX chromosomal set. Uh, Moses is quick thinking, plucky, sister Miriam. 
Right. She's at the right place at the right time. Hers is a major adventure in babysitting. She has the gumption to approach the daughter of the man who is oppressing her people. I love this. She is credible enough to persuade Pharaoh's daughter um, of the exact wet nurse services that the latter would need. A contract is established. But more amazingly, it turns out that Moses' mother, yeah, she is reunited with her son. I think the Lord honored this mother's faith by allowing uh, her to care for her own baby. Imagine the shock. I think, I think the best that Moses' mother could have hoped for is that some person took the baby in and took care of him and he, he survived. But she got to raise him in his formative years. She got to nurse him. She got to stay with him. She got to teach him. Right, inculcate him. Uh, we don't know how long. Maybe it, it was. Um, it wasn't that long, but it's a number of years in which I think she could establish, you know, her love for him. Maybe even his Hebrew uh, identity, ethnic identity. Right. Uh, it seems that Moses was aware, right, even as he's growing up, that he was a Hebrew and not an Egyptian uh, by birth. It's a little different from some of the the movie renditions of this story. Uh, but she gets to uh, take care of her child. And this is because of Miriam, because of Miriam's, I don't know, uh, her wit, her, her, her smartness, her, uh, her fast thinking, right? She's kind of plucky, uh, uh, like I said, in, in that sense. Um, and, and, and I find that, uh, again, it's not, I'm not trying to make a distinction between men and women, but I find that uh, that is a, a great quality to appreciate. And, and Miriam was part of what was needed uh, to develop, to raise someone like Moses, right? If you study Moses's life, um, it's pretty amazing uh, all that he was called to do, all that he did, all that he struggled with, right? the, the scope of his life. And, but it wasn't he himself who just made himself great through, you know, his, his own efforts. It really was so many people contributing, helping him uh, build his life, right? Well, the story ends with uh, Moses' mother giving uh, Moses uh, to Pharaoh's daughter as a Pharaoh's daughter's son. Moses gets adopted uh, as a child. But I think... Now Moses' mother had to, uh, again, surrender him into God's hands. But this time, I think uh, she would have been even more confident that he was a fine child, that, that special things uh, were afoot because God's mighty hand had been gracious uh, to her. Uh, so I hope these uh, accounts of the women life preservers bless and inspire us today. Uh, with the pandemic, Continuing on, the threat to life, it's just all too real. Uh, so we need, all of us, you know, whatever our gender, uh, we need to join that long line of mothers who give of, them, of themselves sacrificially to grant, extend, and strengthen life in all its forms. Certainly in the family, right? we have to be these life jackets, but also in the church, 
We need to be these kind of life givers, life extenders, life protectors, you know, for others. Without such um, people serving in this kind of motherly, spiritual motherly capacity, I don't think we can have the kind of life that God desires for us. And even to our uh, neighbors, right? As God leads, let's help their lives. Let's extend their lives. Let's share our lives with them. If you want just just a quick summary of the qualities of these three that we studied today, uh, I would say that kind of Jochebed was creative, so creative in uh, hiding Moses and then protecting him in the basket and then planning where she would place him. So maybe we can be creative in our life giving love to others. And then, as I said, Pharaoh's daughter was compassionate. So creative, compassionate. I want to say that Miriam was capable, right? She like, she knew what needed to be done. She found her moment. She showed up and she got uh, Moses, uh, Pharaoh's daughter to agree to have Moses nursed by Moses's mom. Uh, Mona said her, her boss uh, texted a, her, her boss, Lauren, uh, texted all of the, the mothers in her department and said, happy Mother's Day to the ladies who know how to get things done. Right? So that's, that's true. Right? That's, that's Miriam. That's a lot of mothers. Okay, let's pray. Let's uh, reflect and let's make some commitments in our heart.